0: All right, good morning. My name is Robbie Baxter. I'm the director of assimilation here at Christ Community Church. I was glad when they said to me, let us go up to the house of the Lord. It's a pleasure to be with you this morning. Um, we're going to be in Acts chapter 1, so if you would meet me there. Acts chapter 1 This is the last sermon in our series, our Easter series. We've been going through the book of um, Matthew, and now we're going to finish up as we consider Jesus' ascension to the right hand of the Father from Acts chapter Chapter One, and by way of introduction, let's just remember a few things about the book of Acts. The book of Acts is really the story of the beginning of the new covenant community that Jesus has established, and it's the story of the way in which that new covenant community um, makes inroads with uh, the, the the world as it as it was then, um, particularly as the gospel spreads out to the Gentiles and beyond the Jewish community. And this is a community that we are a part of. Um, we're a part of it because of the disciples' witness. Um, if they had been silent about all that they saw and heard Jesus do, we would not know about it, and we would not be Christians. But even though that, that is true, the, all that Jesus did and, and said and um, has done for his people is not confined to what he did uh, for, a few, for a few years, 2,000 years ago in, in Palestine, but it stretches back, it stretches back into eternity past when God made a covenant of redemption and determined to make you his um, by uniting him, by, by, by uniting you to Jesus, and it stretches back into Israel's past when God did mighty and wonderful things to tell the people of God what he was like, what his character was like, about his mercy and his justice, and to show them the character of the coming king, King Jesus, who was coming, and it stretches into uh, the present time, when God has done mighty and wonderful things in our lives to so draw us to faith and to Jesus, and it will stretch into eternity in the future as God, as Jesus rather, ever lives to intercede before the throne of God, to make us his, and to give us all the benefits of being heirs of Christ, heirs of, of, of all that is and all that he gets by being God's beloved son. And in these days, he's established his church and, and kept her safe, He's kept the church safe. He's kept us safe from all the attacks of the devil and sometimes from the unsteadiness and even sometimes the foolishness of of the church's people. And he is present with us now. He's present with us now through the Holy Spirit. And he promises to return at the last day Finally, to bring to completion all the good work that he has begun. And so this is the context of the book of Acts. It's the context for how we understand who we are as as the people of God, as, as being drawn into this new covenant community that Jesus has established. And this is the point also of the ascension narrative. And that's really just that Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. He's alive today, and he is not absent. He's present and reigning through the Holy Spirit, um, and he's present with us now, working to do his will and to bring to completion all the work that he has begun from eternity past and looking forward to eternity future. And Jesus is relevant to your life today because he is at work in this world and actively bringing his kingdom to bear in it. The ascended Lord Jesus is present with us right now through the Holy Spirit so that we might have power for obedience and look eagerly for his return. So let's see it from the text. Uh, Looking to Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. We'll pause there for a minute, but I've got a question for you as we start. What are some good things that you hope to see happen in your life? What do you long for in this world? And as you think about that, I'm going to make a a bold, but I think a a very biblical claim, and that is that every good thing that we long for, everything that we hope to see happen in our lives and hope to see happen in the world, is an echo of the good that King Jesus is bringing about as the King of the world, is bringing about in his kingdom. And we might say that, um, uh, well, we, we might say that we are fountains of desires, that everything that we long to see happen in our, in our lives and everything that we long to see happen in the world is a reflection of the fact that we were made to enjoy the infinite God. We were made to enjoy him and, and to know him forever. And sure, some of you are, might be saying, uh, that is all very well, but I don't enjoy God like I ought to. Some days I feel like I hardly enjoy God at all. Perhaps the disappointments of this life or its anxieties seem more present to you than the good that King King Jesus is bringing about as the king of the world. The kingdom hardly seems to you, maybe, like a place where you'd find all your good and all your joy. Oh, I believe in Jesus, you may say. Uh, I love him even, and I can see that he meant well, but whether I shall find all my good in his kingdom, I'm not so sure about that. And what if in seeking him... I miss out on the best in life. And to all who ask this question, and all of us ask it sooner or later, sometimes at different points in our lives, our text directs us to notice a very important thing. Notice what Luke says Jesus spoke to his disciples about after his resurrection. He spoke to them about the kingdom of God. He's just been raised from the dead. What is his message? The kingdom of God. The ministry of Jesus began on this earth with the proclamation that the kingdom of God was at hand. Remember Jesus in Matthew 4, Jesus began to, to preach, um, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And now his time on earth is ending with the same message. The kingdom is the theme of Jesus's ministry, past, present, and future. But for a time, it was impossible for many to see the truth of what Jesus was saying during his earthly ministry. He didn't look like a king. He, the message he brought Uh, didn't come with the immediate overthrow of the Roman Empire. All the good that the people of Israel looked forward to when they thought about the kingdom of God seemed really far away when Jesus was crucified and beaten and, and mocked. What kind of kingdom is that? But by his resurrection, God proved that the kingdom that Jesus came to proclaim was truly the kingdom of God. The truth of Psalm 103 Uh, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all, was vindicated, and it came in the ministry of Jesus. It came in a humble way so that rebellious sinners like us could receive pardon from our great king and even rejoice in his coming kingdom. And now we pray that God's kingdom would come in increasing degrees, in increasing degrees evermore in our life and in the life of the world. Be careful you don't miss Jesus' patience with us. You may wonder whether it really can be true that his kingdom is the place where all the good of your life and all the good that you long for can truly be found. Wait in Jerusalem. Wait like the disciples had to wait in Jerusalem. Jesus does not tell you to manufacture this hope in your own heart. He doesn't tell you you have to go to find it somewhere other, some other place. He merely asks you to wait. Wait for him with open eyes right where you are. By and by, you will find that the Spirit will come, and we cannot always tell when he will come. He's like the wind in his freedom, but by and by, he will come, and he'll open your eyes, maybe for the first time, or maybe for the thousandth time, to see the truth of who he really is, to see the truth of the rock-solid reality of his kingdom, a kingdom that will never end. And when the Spirit opens our eyes to this truth, for the first time, maybe, or for the thousandth time, we realize this very fundamental fact about ourselves. This world is not our home. We seek a better country, a country that is to come, a country in which every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. At present, we do not see everything in subjection to him. That's the truth of Hebrews 2. For now, we live by Faith, and and not by sight, but it is but a very short time until Jesus comes again in glory, and we will see all that he did and said and preached for us come to perfection and will be true for us in the kingdom to come, and all of our good will be found in him alone. So wait in Jerusalem if you don't feel that this is a reality for you just yet. If you struggle sometimes to find all your good and all the hope that you long for in the coming kingdom of Jesus, wait in Jerusalem. Wait on the Spirit to open your eyes to the rock-solid reality of who Jesus is for us. It was impossible for a time for many to see the truth of what Jesus was saying until the Holy Spirit descended upon them and they opened their eyes to the reality of who he really was. And so we see that the ministry of Jesus, even after his resurrection, is still to help us to see the truth of what he has been saying. Jesus is still helping us to see through the Holy Spirit. That's why in verse 2, Luke says that Jesus gave commands to the disciples through the Holy Spirit. That might strike you as kind of a funny way of putting things. If he's right there in front of them, why add the Holy Spirit? And the answer is that because the Holy Spirit is the one who's opening our eyes to the truth of who Jesus is, and the truth of what He is saying, and the truth of all that He has done, and its significance for our lives, and our ability to put our faith in that, and trust it, and believe in Him. Before the disciples had struggled to understand uh, who Jesus was. Think about all the time. Think about the some of the great parables and, and stories that we love. Uh, when Jesus walked on water, for example, and all the disciples were, or or when he was uh, thought he was a ghost, and, and he said, you have little faith, or when he was asleep in the boat, and there was a storm raging on the Sea of Galilee, and, and they were terrified and, and afraid, and, and Jesus gets up and speaks a word, be silent, be still, and the waters are calm, and the disciples are just shocked, utterly astounded that Jesus was able to do this. And then the text adds a very curious way of putting things. It says, because they didn't understand about the loaves, about the miracle that Jesus had just done the day before in feeding the 5,000. They didn't understand the significance of it. It doesn't mean that they weren't there and they didn't see it happen. It means they didn't understand who Jesus was. It didn't, they didn't understand what it was all pointing to, and we're in the same boat oftentimes. We don't understand the significance of Jesus' coming kingdom unless the Spirit opens our eyes and helps us to see the significance of these things, helps us to put our hope in those things and not in the things of this world. And Jesus does not intend this opening of the eyes to be a single event, so he commands his disciples to wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit, who's been promised by the Father. He will come upon them like water in baptism, an event that will mark them and transform them for the rest of their lives. The Spirit comes to us in the same way when we put our trust in Jesus. He comes to dwell with us, and he helps us to see the truth and the glory of what Jesus has said and done for us. The Spirit transforms our lives and enables us to live as the obedient people of God. And you know what? That's really good news for us. Because we need the same help, the same help and understanding that the disciples needed. We need a deep, firm conviction that Jesus is the King who has all authority in heaven and earth. We need to know that Jesus is alive and triumphant over all his enemies. We need to be sure that death has finally been defeated. We need to be confident that God's good kingdom is already here in many good ways and still yet coming, certainly coming in many of the ways that we long for. We need to know that there is fullness of joy and pleasure forevermore in God's presence. We need to know that Jesus is with us and coming back for us. We need to be sure that Jesus has overcome the world so that we can rejoice even during trial and sorrow. These are, on the face of it, almost unbelievable things to believe. And we would not believe them if the Holy Spirit were not with us. We're not enabling us to see the truth of them. So we need the same help that the disciples needed. And we have it. Praise God, we have it. By the Spirit, because Jesus is alive. And because he sent us his Spirit. So this is to say that if we are to be Christians who really believe and really uh, believe the gospel, and really believe the Bible, and really believe that it teaches a redemptive story from Genesis to Revelation with massive implications for everyone in the world. And if if we are to continue believing it, even when it is difficult to do do so, even when the storms of life seem to overcome us, or even when the temptations of sin, the fleeting pleasures of sin seem more appealing than the hard road of obedience of the pilgrim way, We need to know that Jesus is alive and we need to believe what he says and we have it because the spirit helps to work it in us. The central fact in the world today, the central fact in the world today, despite what we may sometimes see when we walk outside this morning or this afternoon, the central fact will be the same as it was And we walked inside uh, this building this morning. It'll be the same tomorrow and the day after that and the week after that. For however long um, the Lord tarries, the central fact in the world today is that Jesus is alive and reigning. And he is the king of the world. And he commands all people everywhere to believe in him and to repent. And the main problem in the world today is our inability to believe it and to feel it. And praise God that his spirit is the one who opens the eyes of our hearts to see Jesus and believe him. Let's turn again to the text, picking up in verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We'll pause there for a minute again. And I got another question for you. What causes you to feel powerless and overwhelmed, and who do you go to for help? The disciples might very well have felt powerless and overwhelmed, especially at this very comprehensive charge Jesus has just been given to them. I mean, not only is it scary enough probably to be told that you will be witnesses to Jesus in Judea right at the very time when he's just been killed for making the claims that he's been made, and to Samaria, and not only that, to the ends of the earth. And we might feel overwhelmed too, not only when we hear the charge that Jesus continues to give to the church that we'll be his witnesses to our unbelieving neighbors and to the world, but even the charge to be faithful to him and to continue to believe in him, even when it's difficult to do so. But it's just because that Jesus is alive and reigning and has given us the Holy Spirit that we can be faithful in that charge. Now, even the question the disciples ask is not an unreasonable one. It's a reasonable one, and Jesus gives a reasonable answer. Um, It's not wrong or misguided. Since Jesus is the king, and since his kingdom is what the whole story of redemption is, is about, and since he's been resurrected and given all authority in heaven and earth, and since the promised spirit is about to be poured out, that's Jesus's promise, won't the kingdom come in all its glory and power now? That's a, that's a reasonable thing to ask. And since it's a reasonable question, Jesus doesn't rebuke them for asking it. Instead, he simply tells them, that's not for you to know. But here's the glorious reality. Whether the kingdom comes in all its perfection, tomorrow Or a thousand years from now, God's people receive power by the Holy Spirit to believe what Jesus has said and to witness about him to the ends of the earth. The kingdom may not be fully here yet, but the power of the king is. I wonder if you believe that. The kingdom may not yet be fully here now, but the power of the king is. We just saw that we need the Holy Spirit to believe all that Jesus said to believe that it's true for us, and to find our greatest hope and all of our joy in the kingdom. And we see here also we need his power to to witness to that fact. There are many things that are different different between us and and the first disciples. For one thing, uh, we didn't see the acts of of Jesus and his earthly ministry here on earth with our own eyes. And they're called apostles because they did. They're messengers of their witnesses, of the, the basic facts of what Jesus said and did in his earthly ministry here on earth. That's one of the other lessons from Acts chapter 1, later in the other verses, um, when they have to replace Judas uh, with another disciple. And one of the requirements is that it's somebody who was with Jesus from the very beginning of his ministry until the very end. Um, So there's, there's a big difference between us and the original disciples. But does that mean that the power that they have by the Holy Spirit to be effective witnesses for Jesus and to live powerfully for him is confined only to them? Is this promise only for the apostles? No. And the reason we can know that is because the charge that Jesus has given to them is the same charge he's given to us. We are to witness to the ends of the earth about who Jesus is, about his kingdom, about the pardon that he has uh, achieved for all rebellious sinners. That's one of the truths of Matthew 28, after all. We are witnesses to this fact. Um, And as Ephesians 2 says, we are building on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, so that the, the temple of God, that's one of the metaphors for the church. Did you know that? You're a temple of God. And as we witness to Jesus, we help that temple to grow and to grow and to grow. We're building on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and Jesus is the cornerstone. But we, by our witness, are helping the temple to grow. And that means that the promise that Jesus gave to the disciples, that his power will be with them through the Holy Spirit to be effective witnesses, to be obedient people, even when... The charge that he has given them seems overwhelming and perhaps very dangerous, is the same power that we have, and that's good news, because we need the same power that the disciples needed. We live in a world that doesn't recognize the authority of its king. It bristles at the suggestion that there is one who demands their allegiance and holds them accountable to his law. We live in a world that revolts at the suggestion that there is a higher authority that can tell them what to do. We once revolted against, and still do sometimes. That's one of the challenges of sanctification, is the more and more we come against the demands of who Jesus is, which are for our good, oftentimes we would rather be our own boss. And one of the challenges of sanctification, the, the good works that the Spirit does in our hearts, is to recognize that Jesus knows better than we do. And in all that he commands us, he commands for our good. And the world, without having the Spirit, bristles at the suggestion that there is someone who knows better than they do, that the narrative of the autonomous individual self is a wrong one. It bristles at that. And how will we then be effective and faithful witnesses for Jesus unless we have the power that comes from God alone? Now, you may say, I don't feel very powerful. Have I not done enough, maybe? Have I not got the right formula? But our text says, don't you know, Jesus is alive, and he sent you the Spirit. Wait on the board. Wait in Jerusalem, and Jesus will surely act. He is alive, after all. This power was there for Paul when he went about the Roman Empire, preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. It was there for, for Stephen, the first martyr of the church, when he preached before the Jerusalem High Council and was stoned for his message. It was there for the Christians of Nero's time when he bound them up and set them in his garden and lit them on fire as torches for his garden parties. It was there when the Visigoths sacked Rome and all the people thought that civilization itself was ending. They blamed the Christians for making Rome weak and ineffectual. It was there when Athanasius earned his nickname, Athanasius Contramundum, Athanasius against the world, because it seemed like the whole world was going the way of the Arians, and he was a lone voice for the full divinity of Jesus. It was there when um, Boniface stood before the pagan tribes of Germany, and right in front of them chopped down their sacred oak, the tree that they worshiped, and then used the wood to build a church building, and by his very courageous act, converted many of them to Jesus, and it helped to bring the gospel into Europe and that power was there when Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the church door at Wittenberg and helped to spark the Reformation, and it was there when William Wilberforce stood against a lot of ridicule and helped to end the African slave trade, and it was there when Jim Elliott said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose, and then lost his life trying to bring the gospel to the tribes of the Amazon, and it's there for us today when we In courageous and perhaps overwhelming steps that we take in little ways, uh, bring the gospel to the neighbors and to our co-workers. And even when the way of Christ challenges the convenient compromises that we often make with sin and the primitive impulse that we often feel to act in certain ways that are not godly, and we find that the way of Christ challenges the way we would like to be sometimes. That power is there and it is certainly there because Jesus is alive and he's working to bring all things to his kingdom. So how how will we experience this power, though, when we know that it's certainly there, and sometimes we know that we don't feel it, and the answer is we pray. Wait in Jerusalem. Wait for the Lord to act, and wait by praying. Hear what Martin Luther says about praying. I particularly love the way that he puts this. He says, The devil is a scoundrel who furtively sneaks up behind us to see if he can somehow divert us from prayer. So, we must prepare ourselves to oppose him and allow nothing to deter us. When he prompts you to think, there's something else I must do first, then you must say, no, not so. As soon as the need arises, I shall pray, for when I have need to call upon God, that is the right time to do it. If I'm not fit or worthy to pray, God will make me fit and worthy. For I know that he loves me, not because I am so good or righteous, but for the sake of Christ, whom I love and in whom I believe. If you don't feel particularly powerful, pray. That's the way in which the Spirit works, and the Spirit will certainly work to give us the same power that he gave the church throughout the ages, to give us the same power the disciples needed to be faithful witnesses to Jesus, to give us the power we need to walk in the pilgrim way, to be faithful to Jesus, even when we don't feel it. And it is certainly a power that is there for us because Jesus is alive. Let's turn again to the text, picking up in verse 9. When he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Got another question, a final question for you. What causes you to remember that the risen Lord Jesus is coming again? What do you most look forward to about his return? Uh, Jesus' bodily presence, of course, on this earth, came to an end at his ascension. And now he's at the Father's right hand. He sits upon his throne. Where is our God? Our God is in the heavens. He does everything that he pleases And let this answer the doubts that some of us may sometimes feel about the relevance of Jesus to our lives. Why is Jesus relevant? Because he's the king. He has not merely been resurrected from the grave. He's been raised far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, not only in this age, but in the age to come. However much you may now doubt that Jesus reigns on his throne and governs the universe according to his good pleasure, when he comes again in glory, you will be fully convinced of it. Unless you think that the Christian faith is merely about living a good life and being a good person, let this text remind you that the whole end goal is truly summed up in the glory of Jesus Christ. And this is good news, because we know that his promise is true. He will be with us to the end of the age. And looking to Jesus' return will help us to fight unbelief and the deceitful promises of sin, which promise us that there's more to be found in disobeying Jesus than in obeying him, that the long walk of Christian faithfulness in this world is not going to be very worthwhile in the end, that we're going to miss the best in life, or that maybe there is something here, maybe Jesus is true, but, you know, at the end of the day, what's in here is really about helping you to have a better week this week or maybe having a better time in the difficulties of life. But the reality is is that the end goal is summed up in the glory of Jesus, and that's good news for us because all of our joy is found in his kingdom. I know that sometimes is difficult to, to believe, but we face the same difficulties that Christians throughout the ages have faced. We face the same difficulties in believing that the disciples faced, and Jesus knows that. And he comes and he condescends, um, and helps to open our eyes to the truth of who he really is, to help, helps us to, to believe these things, to hold these things as worthwhile, as our deepest treasure. God is so um, complete and happy in, in the fellowship of the Trinity that he didn't create us, and he didn't condescend to save us out of some lack in himself, as if he needed us to be more complete or to be happy. No, everything that we have and all the joy that we experience in being the children of God is the abundance of God himself. He, he created out of abundance, and he saved out of abundance, and he loves out of abundance. He does, he's not waiting for you to figure it out so that you can finally get on board and then, okay, we'll get this gospel thing started. He's not waiting for you to, to find your joy in him so that he can be God or that he can build his, his kingdom or that he can grow the family of God. Instead, he invites you to find your joy and satisfaction in him to reflect often upon how he's been good to you, to to know who you are as a child of God in union with Christ, and to be so shaped by your your identity in him that your deepest comfort and all the enjoyments of this world um, pale in comparison to who you are as his child. And he's bringing that to completion in the kingdom. And one day, the difficulty that we sometimes feel in believing these things and seeing these things as true will be done away with because they'll be right in our face because Jesus will be with us forever and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord and what a good day that will be and it is certainly coming because Jesus is alive. Let's not overlook this wonderful fact. As simple as it may seem, as often as we may have heard it, as um, maybe Sunday schoolish as we sometimes relegate these truths um, to, Jesus is alive and he's ascended to Uh, the father's right hand and he rules the world with power and glory and grace and he's bringing all things to completion in himself and that is a good thing and we need the same help to believe these things that the disciples had and we have it through the spirit and remembering that jesus will come again will help us to persevere and not grow weary in doing good so what does acts 1 1 through 11 teach us well at least three things teaches us that the risen Lord Jesus has given us his spirit to enable us to believe what he has spoken. The risen Lord Jesus has given us his spirit to witness, to empower us to witness of him to the world. And the risen Lord Jesus will someday return in glory. I'm looking forward to that day so much. Many of the things that I most long for, um, I've already experienced in some degree just because of the fact that Jesus' kingdom is already and not yet. And, and what a good truth that is, that we experience that even as we gather for worship this morning. Um, as, as sometimes as distracted as we come in to Sunday morning worship and as sometimes as um, uh, maybe not as terrific as we would like it to be and as some days as sweet as it would like us to be, like it to be, the truth is that these things are helping us to prepare uh, for, for the worship service that we'll have in heaven. I always have appreciated the way that Lewis said it one time. I don't remember precisely where, but he once said that Christian obedience is kind of like the orchestra, tuning its instruments, getting ready for the big, um, the big play that they're about to put on for the whole world. It's, it's sort of like they're tuning their, their instruments, getting ready for the, the, big, the big day. And, and Christian obedience, like for us, is often like that, or Christian worship is often like that. We're tuning our instruments so that we can play with all of our might and sing with all of our um, joy. And, and find our deepest satisfaction in the coming kingdom of Jesus. It's kind of like that. So persevere, for Jesus is alive, and he's ascended to the right hand of the Father, and he's working all things together for our good. What a wonderful truth that is. And help us, may the Lord help us to continue to pray for these things, to continue to pray for the power of the Spirit, to continue to, to be obedient. We desperately need the power of the Spirit, because you know what? The, we don't have within ourselves the resources to make it even tomorrow as obedient children of God. If it weren't for the Spirit... There is no guarantee that we would be uh, Christians tomorrow. But just because Jesus is alive and just because he's given us a spirit, we can be confident that these things are true. And not just true in a general way, but true for you, even today. And, and what a wonderful and good thing that that is. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to hear from your word again, that you have risen to the Father's right hand, and you intercede for us. And there is nothing that we need to do to make ourselves commendable to you, to merit your attention, but you do it for us. And you help us to see the truth by your spirit of who you are and who Jesus is and who we are in light of that. Lord, help us by your spirit to be obedient people of God, to persevere in the long walk of this pilgrim way, and to be people who find our joy and satisfaction in you. Lord, we praise you as the Father who gives good gifts to his children who has risen, um, who governs the universe according to your good pleasure, and that good pleasure is a merciful one, a gracious one. Lord, help us to be faithful witnesses of these things to the whole world, to find our joy in you, and to love you with all of our hearts and minds and strength. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.